Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... Now is the time it really has to happen because in another 10 years, that population is well and truly aged. You know, we're going through some significant challenges, like now is the real opportunity. And that's what raising gave us. You've probably never heard of Kismet Healthcare. It's no household name, but its reach and spectacular effectiveness in the digital health space in such a short space of time is undeniable. Co-founded by serially successful entrepreneur you probably haven't heard of either, Mark Woodland, Kismet's digital tools help NDIS participants successfully link up with approved providers, hopefully reducing fraud, overcharging and improving compliance along the way. Now, Kismet only started in August 2022 after Mark had kept the idea in his bottom drawer for some 13 years. But in early 2023, the small team raised a whopping $4 million in its very first funding round from Venture Capital, an enormous tick of approval for Mark Woodland, a former soldier and proud product of a single mum household. Then again, Mark Woodland had already built a substantial childcare business, Explore, which he then sold in 2020 to US private equity reportedly making Explore worth $100 million and putting Mark onto the Financial Review Young Rich List. Here's his remarkable yet humble startup journey. Mark Woodland, thanks so much for joining me on Build It, They'll Come. It's great to be speaking to you. No, thanks for having me. Now, in February 2023, you closed a funding round of $4 million you raised from venture capital companies. You officially launched the brand in May 2023, yet Kismet was up and going as a usable platform before then, wasn't it? So perhaps we should start with what is Kismet and where did this idea come from? Yeah, it's a really long story, but try and condense it. So what is Kismet? Kismet's a platform. Um, it operates pretty much for any health insurance that you might have. So one of the biggest challenges people have is a lot of insurance is not based on outcomes or goals that you want to achieve. Um, and this goes all the way from private health insurance all the way down to government-funded insurance like the NDIS. So one of the things that we wanted to tackle or the problem that we we're trying to solve is my mother-in-law had contacted me saying, you know, I'm now looking after my mum. Um, because her father had passed away. She was on the aged care plan. So if you think of an aged care plan as an insurance plan and they couldn't find gardeners, they couldn't find the support they need. Um, a lot of that the, she needed to stay in her home or yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the grandmother the, the, or the, the mother, mother yeah. in this case, um, wanted to stay in the home, um, didn't want to go to an aged care home. So they had to find all these services. Um, the siblings had to try and navigate this new scheme. Um, this aged care plan, didn't know what they could do, didn't know how to utilize it, couldn't get the support they needed from the government and and some of the admin pain goes on. And so what Kismet does is automates all of that. 
So if you put in your aged care plan or your NDIS plan, it will show you all the different categories and all the different ways that you can spend that money. And then through our Kismet Marketplace, it will automatically book you into those services. So instead of sitting on the phone for 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes, trying to find someone that's got available appointments, um, the CU at a physio or a podiatrist, the technology will automatically book you into based on your location, based on the live availability, based on different filters and things that you're searching for. So including you might, what the outcomes that you want? Including or? the goals that you want to achieve. So even things like I only want to see a female doctor, I want to see a male doctor, I want to see XXXX. You put all that in and it will find them for you. So it takes away hours of admin. Then when you book in, you'll go see the provider um, you'll sign in using our Kismet attendance um, platform and you'll sign out. So like a check-in service, yeah, like you a check digital in, check-in check exactly service. Exactly right. Like you scan a QR code, you might use a beacon to do it, um, and then that, that's your job done. You don't have to do anything. And then when you sign out, it's a bit like when you get out of an Uber, it's frictionless. Everything's paid. You're no longer exchanging cash. It's just done. So the money will be submitted to the government, the invoices and the admin will be done, and all you have to do is go focus on your next thing that's going to help you with your outcome. So it's an ecosystem. It does everything you could possibly think it needs to do for you to be able to book an appointment and get a service you need based on your healthcare outcomes. That's quite extraordinary. It's a big one. Ecosystems are big. So it's something I'm quite excited about is ecosystems. So where did the idea come from? Yeah, it was really just out of, well, actually 10 years ago, um, I was excited about aged care and what that could have been. So in 2020, uh, 2010, um, I pitched an idea, which was Kismet, at a conference called Innovage, which was in Canberra. Innovage. Innovage. Right. About innovation in aged care, correct, presumably. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Innovage. Oh, yeah, it was a cool title. Um, and so I got up on stage and pitched this. This is what we need um, to help people get that agency back and to encourage more people to age in their home and encourage the family nucleus to support their aging parents or, or whatever the circumstance is. Anyway, 13 years ago, no one wanted it. Everyone laughed at it. Why could we possibly do that? It's, it's pointless. So I said, okay, thanks. Um, just so happened I was in education running my own childcare centers at that point, so I went into education. But... Um, so you put this idea in the bottom drawer or did you just sort of forget about it for 13 years? 99% of me didn't believe the experts that no one needs this. Um, but look, they were right 13 years ago. If you think about the generation of people that were in aged care or in-home care um, would be my grandparents and they probably pretty new to technology and couldn't use some of the things that I was talking about. However, 13 years later, there's a generational shift that's occurred. And now you've got my mum who's starting to look at in-home care and things like that. And she's more than capable of using phones and technology. She's also got people like myself, her, her, her sons that can take care and we're capable of using technology. So I think it was the timing that they oh, were accurate so about. that's so interesting. So, yeah, we did- Even the digital capability of people yeah, was different. Everything was different. Yeah. Um, and as bad as COVID was, what it did teach the population was how to sign in and sign out of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that's not a new concept anymore. Right. So, so check-ins yeah. became, and, and was your idea from the outset ten, uh, 13 years ago to have a check-in sort of service? Yeah. So our check-in system 13 years ago was far more advanced than what it is today. So 13 years ago, we used this thing called Bluetooth beacons. 
And all that is, is Bluetooth. So when you get into your car, your phone automatically connects. Right. This is the same thing, but it's a little device about the size of a hockey puck that you can put in a drawer, stick to the roof, do whatever you want. And as soon as you walk into the building, it knows your phone's there. It will send you a notification to say, check in. And what's really cool about Bluetooth beacons is you can't spoof it. You can't make it up. It knows you're physically there or that phone is physically there. QR codes you can take a photo of and check in somewhere and you've got to solve for those things. And how does that help Kismet? The Bluetooth? Have Bluetooth beacons. So what's really cool about Bluetooth beacons is a allied health provider can put it in their surgery or, or their doctor's room or whatever. And because it's geofence, now geofencing from GPS, you can spoof that as well. But Bluetooth, you have to be connected to it. So you physically know that someone's there. Meaning me as a potential patient yep. walk in with my phone to a physiotherapist yep. or a speech pathologist's office 100%. and it knows checks me there. in. Well, knows your phone's knows, there. Knows yeah. my phone's yeah. there. And okay. it's a safety so you can't feature trick as well. it. You can, you can, you, I'm sure there's super, super tech experts yeah. out there that say, yeah, you can trick it, sure. Um, but it's also a safety thing because we used it in childcare and there was a big thing um, a few years ago now where children be, were being accidentally left in their car. Um, so what the Bluetooth beacons were able to do is know that someone's there, um, that they've physically attended because we know the phone's Yeah, pinging, right. Um, and say, hi, how are you going? Is everything okay? Um, oh, I need to get my child out of the car. Um, so there's safety elements too. So the technology is really cool. Um, and so we try and use both of them to give people options. A lot of the publicity around your uh, launch was really, uh, I guess, um, that you're a platform that can help particularly with the NDIS, yeah. which yeah. is a fantastic system. Yep. Everyone's for it, but the government and the community mm -hmm. is rightly worried about how much fraud is going on, how much um, the funding, mm. how much funding is going to be needed in future budgets mm. and how we're going to pay for it. How does your system play into that and why do you think Kismet is sort of special in the NDIS space? Yeah, we launched in the NDIS because we're quite used to working in those what we call proto systems. So the childcare system is the same government system yeah. for NDIS. So we know that inside so out. So you mean it's sort of highly regulated by government? Uh, it's the or, same technology. Yeah. So oh, Proto right. is a portal that you log into as a provider or a parent to get your funding from the government. It sends invoices and there's APIs you can connect to. So we know how to operate in that world. So that's why we entered. Um, another reason we entered is the fastest growing segment for the NDIS is children. And we just happen to know a lot of children. Um, but there's multiple layers of savings that can take place in the NDIS. And that starts with fraud. There's examples of a walking stick on Amazon for $60, but under the NDIS, that same walking stick is $600. So there's those examples. So there's overcharging. Yeah, there's fraud, overcharging equipment. There's, there's non-compliance. There's a lot of non-compliance. There's a lot of fraud in terms of attendance. So I just spoke about how our system tracks attendance and makes sure people arrive at the appointment safely. What does happen, and this is not all providers, this is a few, but what does happen is people say that someone's attended and they haven't and they send off a fake invoice and they get paid for it. Um, I've got a terrible story of um, a support worker said that they were with a person um, on the NDIS. Um, they billed them for it. 
the support coordinator, so someone that manages and looks after the participant, got a phone call saying the participant's in hospital, um, they'd fallen down the stairs. The support worker never attended. They just said they did. And if they did attend, they would have been able to take this participant to the hospital. So there's those examples as well. So they were caught out. So they were caught out, but that wasn't through technology or no, anything. That was no, just, that was through a phone call to the coordinator. Really so how does your how do you sort of claim that your yeah, so platform helps weed out or stop or tackle yeah. some fraud and Multiple non-compliance? Ways. So our marketplace checks and verifies providers on the platform to make sure they're real. The attendance piece that I talked about is quite key because the, the check-in piece, the check-in mean, piece yeah. right, is the only way you can leave a review. So when you sign out, you'll be triggered. Like when you get out of an Uber, was the drive quick Satisfactory or clean, or yeah. those types of questions. And one of the biggest issues you have is fake reviews on Google and things right, like that. about providers. About providers, providers reviewing themselves, providers re- reviewing competitors. Um, but this way, the participant has to actually get the service. So at least you know they've been given the service. So it's a genuine review. It's a genuine review. Yeah. And that, helps, helps to, sorry, that starts weeding out some of those bad actors. Um, payments. So instant payment through our attendance piece also weeds out this fraud that occurs on a different end where money can be collected from plan managers in this example and not paid in a timely manner. They might sit on it for 30 days or they might sit on it for six weeks instead of paying it within two. And when you sit on money in a bank account, it collects interest. Mm. Um, and so there's other, there's so many different ways Players people can take fraud. advantage yeah. of the system. And so Kismet as an ecosystem sort of touches every single one of those pieces and tries to um, clean it up a little bit. It's it's so interesting. I mean, how big a problem potentially is fraud in the NDIS? Because you've obviously d- put a lot of thought billions, into this. Yeah, billions of dollars um, of fraud. But we don't look at it as fraud as, I mean, yes, it should be stopped. And it's bad. But we also see it as if there wasn't all that fraud, you could have so many more people on the system Mm, getting getting the the benefits Mm. that really need it. So you should want to clean it up. And those people taking advantage of it, it's pretty low. Like you're literally taking advantage of, of vulnerable people. So what we're suggesting is we're trying to find a way of how can more people come onto the platform. We don't think solving the cost of NDIS should be based on how many people should be stopped. It's how do we drive price down to bring more people on. Um, yeah. And that's how we attack it. You haven't been going for very long. No. <laughs> um, when we're speaking now, we're in you, you know mid-2023. Um, your brand name isn't well known, no. I would argue. Yep. I mean, how do you get to, you claim to have 27,000 vetted NDIS providers yep. using your platform already and something like um, eight and a half, uh, 850. Uh, um, eight and a half thousand. Oh, eight and a half thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did you get to that if you've only been going a couple of months? Yeah, I think we have. So, I mean, Previous companies, we've been going for a while. So this sort of sector or ecosystem is not new. Um, If you look at education, it's very, very similar. And it's all based on relationships. Um, And so before we entered the market, we've been sitting on this for 10 years. We um, try not to give any trade secrets away, but we know who we need to speak to. And we know who makes those decisions. So support coordinators is a great example are very, very burdened with admin 
And I would argue a support coordinator is similar to an educator, um, educators in childcare. They join the sector because they love helping. They know, I do not know a teacher on this planet that has become a teacher to sit behind a desk and do admin. They want to teach. Mm. And so does nurses. They want to help. Uh, and this is a service sector. It's not shocking, this statement. But what happens in these regulated sectors is they get bombarded with admin and the majority of their time is not helping. They're not building agency. They're not helping participants in the NDIS example, children in education example. And they become disenchanted with, well, what's the point? I just sit here and write reports or I just sit here and make phone calls and try and book people into appointments. Technology does that. And it's not to replace those key people because you can't replace them. And that's not the intent. The intent is to remove all the administration so they can focus on what they want to do, which is helping. And I don't think we should get in the way of that. So deeply understanding that, that key point of why you're doing it. Mm. We're not doing it because, um, well, we, our vision is to make healthcare more accessible. Now, we think the way to do that is by making it easy to book in, making it more affordable, and making sure the people that want to deliver those services can. Pretty simple. But to get there, you got to rip apart all this stuff. Um, and so to, to the question is, how do we grow in that scale? Um, my team and I have been working together for the last seven years. Yeah. So we're very They worked with you at Explore, and, which yeah, is another business you started, yep. which we'll talk about in you a minute. Get there, but <laughs> they're very, very capable human beings. So they know exactly what they're doing and they know how to scale companies. And this is what they've done their whole lives. Um, and our partnerships and relationships and I don't want to be arrogant, but I would argue they're some of the best um, in the sector. Right, but they they are people like healthcare providers, yep. um, hospital systems, support the workers, aged care system, aged care systems, so government systems, and the private, public service, private systems like health insurers. Um, because when you do talk to people about this ecosystem that are in this sector, they understand very yeah. very quickly what's needed. It does. It's. Very, very obvious. Yeah. Oh, no, look, it's it's amazing. I mean, so how many people are using the Kismet platform right now? Just give us a picture of yeah. where it's, you're at. It's tricky because it's an ecosystem, so we have multiple stakeholders, but you've got about 27,000 providers. So these are people that provide a service to someone looking for it. You've and that got, could be a big agency like Cerebral Palsy Alliance or it could or be it could Joe be Blow, a, a speech, speech therapist, therapist right? gardener, P- right. Could be anything yep. that is, is carer, carer, um, you name it. So it's quite quite large. Um, we've got about eight thousand support coordinators. So these are people that look after and support participants. And that was, that was the example between an educator I was giving. So these are people that deeply care about others and um, help them do their plan. Help and, them do yeah. their plan and build agency and, and a whole series of amazing things they do. Um, and then you've got users themselves. And how many users of disabled participants or health? Yeah, it, it's growing daily. Need people? Yeah, it's about twelve hundred wow. thereabouts. Thereabouts. So it, it's getting there. And then your business model. Mm. How does that? How do you make money? Yeah, so there's basic things, the marketplace. So if you're a podiatrist, yeah. you would list on the marketplace, you'd pay X amount of dollars on the marketplace. And you get a clip of if they get booked. Yeah, they pay, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they pay us. And then to your point, if there's a booking, then we'll take a booking yeah, fee. Right. Um, and then there's a payment fee, like a transaction, debit, credit card transaction fee. So you just raised $4 million. That was your the only amount of money you've raised. 
and yet you'd already sort of been going. So you raised that from venture capital companies. That seems to be a very large amount for a new startup. Why do you think they trusted you with their money? I've been asked that question before and I don't have an answer, but um, I hope it's because of track record and history and proving that we've done this before. Um, Was was there a clincher? to convince venture capitalists? Was it just that we've been with Mark in a previous business, worked really well, we got a great exit, it's a good sustainable business? Or was it yeah. more this particular idea? I think that- it's, it's all of that. It, it's That plays a part because one of the things you're investing in, and I'm not a venture capitalist, um, but is the founding team, who's building this thing, yep. can they deliver what? That's just a one small part. The other part is, is there an idea? And is this idea got scale? Have we the VCs themselves seen or researched this sector? Do we understand it? It does this make sense? Um, and then what would that look like on a global scale and can it move beyond Australian shores? So I would argue they're probably, and I'm not a venture capitalist and VCs probably laughing saying this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but that's for sort of what I would look for um, if I was investing. Yeah. So one of the investors was Airtree Ventures yep. and Daniel, um, the entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, <laughs> he is a philanthropist and, and investor, Daniel Petrie. Was there a thing that seemed to really attract him? Uh, I've built a really good, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but a really good relationship with Daniel over the years. He's been there from the start for me. So when I saw him, we had a hug and he said, what do you need very nicely? And I said, well, this is what we're doing. What do you think? He said, yeah, let, I'm in. So Fantastic. Um, but yeah, again, it's there's a lot of history there. It's yeah. not just so it's personal relationships that have been built up on trust and delivering what you promised. I presume in business. Yeah, and I've not been just because he likes you. Well, yeah, I, I, I guaranteed I'm not the the best. Haven't been the best founder on the planet. So there's definitely relationships and history and growth through challenges and growing a business is hard. Um, it doesn't really matter what anyone says. It's it's hard and raising. I wouldn't wish it. On my worst enemy, I'd probably wish it on my worst enemy, actually, because it's it's a hard, it's hard. Raising it's not money. Fun. Raising money is not fun. What, going into pitch and having to it's beg for money? It's not fun. Not fun at all. I, I dread it to this day, even going in. Really? Um, what's yeah. the, let's diverge for a minute, what's <laughs> the scary or the worst part about it or why is it so terrible? There's so many emotions that go through it. So, first of all, you, you, it's not nerves, but you might be nervous when you go in and have to, and there's a short amount of time to make sure you're very clear about what your product does and why it's amazing. And if you don't get that message across, then in, for me, it gets, it's quite frustrating. And I'm not even frustrated that people didn't understand it. I was, obviously didn't communicate well enough. Yeah. yeah. And that's frustrating because you don't get another chance. Mm. Um, it's really, you have to have a, be on your game through the entire conversation on that exact day, on that exact moment. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah, so it's scary. Oh, for sure. Because you I could don't, blow it. It's easily blow it. Yeah. And I think that's the key. For me, it's always been if I blow this, my team mm. is out of a job. Mm. Um, there's all these external factors that probably shouldn't weigh in on, on when you're trying to focus, but they do. And so there's a lot of it's a lot riding on it. Yeah, but Mark, if you weren't nervous, there'd probably be something wrong. You'd be too cocky. Yeah, you wouldn't want arrogance going in. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, so it's it's just I think it's just a lot of a lot of pressure. I think it's good resilience building, that's for sure. So had nobody else done this before? This kismet not type the of entire product. ecosystem. There's lots of competitors wow. that do slithers. Yeah. So marketplaces, payments. There's lots of slithers out there, but no one connects all the dots and and builds something that people want to use. Because I deeply believe the only way you can build a great product is if you actually control the whole product. So all I mean by that is if you come to Kismet and you've got an issue with your billing or you've got an issue with the marketplace or you've got an issue with something along the lines, you call our support number and we control the whole product, it's our fault. We'll fix it. If you go to a competitor they might say, well, we do the marketplace payments, call the bank, or the bank might say, well, we don't do the bank, call the government and call the government. The government will never say it's their fault mm-hmm. and go call this person. And for the next three hours, you sit on the phone and nothing's solved. Mm-hmm. And when it's critical things like health appointments and stuff like that, it needs to be solved. Just by the by, do you charge, say, me as a as the end user? No. No. So it's only the providers yep. and you don't charge the- There's um, a transaction fee that you, if you use your credit card, oh, you right. pay like a 2% yeah. or 1% credit card transaction fee, or if you pay with direct debit, your bank account, you pay those fees. Let's go back to the beginning of <laughs> yeah, Kismet. Yeah. You co-founded it with four- Co-founders, yep. but it was your idea springing from this conversation with um, your mother-in-law. Yeah, I've been whinging to everyone for the last 10 years that someone needs to do something in aged care. I've given everyone plenty of opportunity to do Kismet. Um, but these, these my team um, who are friends, but they um, said they'd love to be part of it. And I said, well, you might as well be founders as well and learn that part of the journey, what it's like to raise and and, and not just be passengers, be involved. Yeah. Um, So they were excited about that. I think it's a good opportunity for anyone to, before you go do your own thing, sort of cut your teeth where you've got a few people around you to support you through that journey. Okay. Five of you is quite a lot. How does it actually work relationship-wise, decision-making-wise? Do you in the end say, oh, it's my way or the highway? Yeah. Well, I keep saying yes, but um, (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a few things. So the way we explain it is, you're always going to be a founder. Everyone's a founder. That's just something that happens. But we also have roles within the business. And so when we're working in the business, we have our roles. I'm the CEO. I have a set of things that have to occur. Yep. Someone else is in charge of revenue, so that's their bag. Right. And so we fall into a normal flat structure um, where everyone's decisions valued, but sometimes a decision has to be made and there has to be ownership of that decision and there might be me, but it might be Stefan who's out in charge of revenue. Yeah. Could be Lauren who's in charge of experience. Could be Sammy who's doing partnerships. Could be Matt when it's a tech solution. They'll be responsible. But yeah. ultimately when push comes to shove. You're the CEO. I'm, I'm the one that gets in trouble. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, What was the, did you need funding right at the beginning? I mean, you've raised this money yeah. now, but you were obviously kind of working on it beforehand. Did you all throw in some money? Did you max out your credit cards? <laughs> um, I I funded it um, yeah. early days. And um, the reason we wanted to raise was to be able to work with um, VCs and angels that 
know what they're doing in their areas. Um, so it's always good to have those people to draw on, um, to be out there looking and supporting and helping and, and being those eyes and ears. Um, and it accelerates things. Um, we think we have a real opportunity to do something now. And now is the time it really has to happen because in another 10 years, that population is well and truly aged. And, you know, we're going through some significant challenges globally with recessions and wars and high costs of living. Like now is the real opportunity. And that's what raising gave us. Yeah. What does the uh, venture capitalists give you? Sorry, I didn't phrase that very well. What, what is venture capital? What is the money? But what do the individuals give you that you either treasure? Are they interventionist? Are they stand back and only you pick up the phone or are they on the phone to you all the time saying, oh, you really need to think about this? <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. So, you know, there's structure that's in place. So, you know, monthly and quarterly reporting, there's that type of stuff. But, you know, there's always the question that I get asked is what can we do? How can we help? What mm-hmm. you need um so it's always nice saying hey and we've done this look you know we're noticing this in the sector has anyone got any contacts and someone will always say oh yeah leave it with me and off they'll go and get it so that's that's amazing um the structure is amazing i'm a pretty unstructured human being at the best of times so having that structure um put in and and is good discipline what What do you mean the structure Um, you mean financial controls no it's more like the board reporting um you know making sure we've got eyes across the business, making yeah. sure we're focused on- Looking at costs. What, correct. Keeping especially an eye on all in those market, cash flow. Yeah. How we make sure we're, we're very diligent with the cash that we have. We don't know what the markets are going to do in the next 12 months. It's always having, it, it's just that, I'm not going to say elderly because they're not elderly, but that, that advice coming yeah. in um, and making sure- Well, they're that experienced. It's, it's exactly right. And yeah. they see this all the time. And just today, we asked a few few questions um, that, you know, um, Airtree is going to come back and help us with. Um, so it's good. Back to your co-founders or yeah. the, the people, yeah. your team, as you call them. Um, you began with them because you'd worked on another business with them, mm. Explore. Take us back to tell us about Explore and how yeah. did that start? <laughs> so it's crazy, but my mum... Uh, she'll be a teacher for life. She's still a teacher's, but she was a school teacher at this point. Um, and this was in 2010 when I was pitching the aged care stuff. Um, and my mum was calling me each day. I was in the army at this point, And she was saying, oh, it's so, she's going to retire. And she bought a business in Melbourne, small 33-place childcare centre. And she was saying business is really hard. It's it's the, I'm not making the ends meet. The bills are hard to pay. Um, I don't have time to teach and all I want to do is teach. And I said, look, the best I can do is I'll leave the army and I'll be your receptionist and you teach. I will do this admin. I didn't know what admin is. So you didn't know anything about the childcare sector and and what it entailed. All it was was the help mum. So she didn't have, mum was a single mother. Um, She'd sacrificed everything for us as kids and gone through stuff that I don't understand how she survived. But um, the, it was just the help. Just that this was the least I could do is sit at the desk and, and file paper. Like that's not a big burden on my life. So I did that. Then quickly realized that parents were coming in the front door signing on pieces of paper. And then you take that piece of paper and you manually enter it into the database. It was mad. I've never seen anything like it. So I said, surely, surely there's a better way. 
um, and started looking for solutions. Now, 2010 is when the iPad came out. So that puts the world into perspective from a tech, tech standpoint. Wow. So, yeah, iPad is pretty normal. But yeah. 2010, the iPad had just launched. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of technology out. Yeah. So I made the grand statement of how hard could it be and went down this beacon path of Bluetooth beacons. Couldn't afford it because I was straight out of the army, had no money, the business was failing, nothing. So I taught myself how to, dare I'm don't, not, not a coder, but taught myself how to build things and um, it allowed parents to walk through the front door. Now, wait a minute. How to build things. What? <laughs> so this <laughs> was- big step there. This was exactly that. Parents using Bluetooth beacons could walk through the front door. It would send them a notification to sign in and out, which meant- they Which didn't still was on a paper, manual paper. Which yeah. meant I didn't have to do paper anymore, nor did they. So all I was doing is a selfish thing to solve my admin burden and they would do that automatically through their phones. What that allowed me to do, though, was get out of the desk and start talking to teachers and educators, trying to figure out what this childcare thing was. And I'd ask them, what are you doing? And, and, and what is this? Like, why is there paper on the roof? What is all this? And why are you always writing? The kids are jumping off, tractors are going crazy. Well, what's going on? And they said, oh, we're documenting learning. And I said, well, when do you teach? Oh, when we finish documenting. And I made another statement. So, again, statement. sort of administration. Heavy administration. I said, this is bad. So what we did is we had an app developer by that stage. We built out a, a part of the platform that allowed educators to take photos and videos of children and document digitally like Facebook, which was when Facebook was there, um, through the platform. And they could now teach. They weren't writing on pieces of paper. They are doing it digitally. So they got their time back. And who was seeing that digital record of what the kids had been doing? That was the next step. I was then finally speaking to parents and parents would call me every single day and say, how's little Johnny? Have they slept? Have they eaten? Now I was from the army. I was a bit blunt and said, your kids are fine. Go back to work. Um, but what was obvious is that needed to be opened up to the parents so they could see. Mm. And all of a sudden, Explore was born. Wow. Which, um, what, was really an ecosystem in to my own center. help parents and childcare centres manage their administration mm -hmm. more easily. That's it. But also to help parents understand what was going on inside 100%, the childcare centre. 100%. I always smile when people get it because all of a sudden that's the most simplest thing in the world. Mm. And it's so common now. Um, but yes, it didn't exist then. Um, and so 2016 um, sold the childcare centres and launched Explore. So that's when I met Daniel Petrie and Airtree. And there's a cool story behind that. Okay, so sorry, this was you still had one childcare centre. So or your 2010, mum had, had mum had another yeah. child. 2012, we built a childcare centre together, which right. was 100 places, so three times the size. Then in 2014, we built a third childcare centre, which okay, was. Okay, so you're pretty entrepreneurial then in terms of developing businesses. Entrepreneurial, it was just. This just do this. You built it from scratch. You yeah, didn't yeah. buy one that was already no, existing. No, these were all built because yeah. the third one was a 200 place centre. Um, on St Kilda Road in a wow. high-rise building. Okay. Um, and we're just doing crazy things. Yeah. Trying to extend hours so parents could work longer, um, give them more flexibility yeah. and opportunity, um, really pushing change because before that, childcare centres would just charge a daily fee, so 12 hours, yeah. even though you didn't attend 12 hours. So we were really advocating for hourly billing. So if you use four hours, you only pay for four right. hours, which meant your subsidy would stretch longer. And you could get more education. Yeah. You could attend more. Okay. So by what, mid, 
2016, so, you had three childcare centres. Uh, beginning of 2016, sold all three childcare centres. Um, Did you make money on them? Made money. Yeah. Um, Mum was able to retire, which was great. It was her dream. I was just there doing things. Um, 2016, though, was Explore. Mid-2016, um, Airtree came in um, with an investment. Because you had this viable yeah. product A that was actually up and product. working. Yeah. yeah. Up and working, running. Other childcare centres were using it because my problem was their problem. That relationship, that partnership I was talking about before, mm-hmm. that deep understanding what people are struggling with, that's the gap. Um, and that's really the secret to the, to the success. But we generally care. Like I care that educators can't spend time teaching, mm. care that children don't get enough education. I care that participants on the NDIS aren't getting the services they need. I care that health providers aren't being able to provide the, the service because they're too busy doing admin. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like that. Can I ask you, I mean, to bring in venture capital, mm. that indicates, doesn't it, that there will be an exit yeah, at for some sure. point. So yeah. meaning you think, I'm going to have to sell this baby, my business baby, and that's what you always intended? I've never started a business to exit. And and VCs will always ask me, what's your exit plan? Don't know. Um, I shouldn't say that. I should be professional say this is my exit plan. But um, it, no, I don't think anyone starts a business mm. to exit it. I've been, it's weird though, since um, the childcare stuff um, in 2010, we sort of always exited a business every sort of five years. Um, Explores 2016, it was acquired by private equity in 2020. Um, and there was no intent. The intent behind the Explore exit was how do we scale and get this solution to as many people globally as possible and who's going to deliver that? Now, if that's not me delivering that, okay. You, I'm, just, you just felt that's beyond that's me. Um, we can't do that by ourselves. I don't, at, in the speed we need to do it, and the urgency doesn't come from let's be the fastest, let's be the best. I generally don't think we have enough time on this planet to fix the things that need to be fixed. Mm. So we need to move very, very quickly to do it, like education. I think that's a critical thing that needs to be solved now. So how quickly can we get the product in as many people's hands so we can start solving the stuff that we signed up to be? Where for Kismet, it's how do we make healthcare more affordable? Mm. How do we make it more accessible? How do we get um, services into the people's hands that don't have it now? I don't think there's, I don't think the next, hopefully I last another 40 years, but I don't think the next 40 years is enough time for me to be able to achieve that. So that's where the urgency comes. So if you can find someone that's going to, double that, double that, triple it, then, yeah, maybe we've got a chance of delivering on the vision. Yeah. So how difficult was it to scale up Explore? Yeah, very, very hard. I think scaling anything's very, very hard. Nothing just happens. There's many, many nights that almost every night I thought, nah, next day it's over. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. How are we going to do this? It's impossible. And every day... It comes, you solve that problem, you move on to the next. I was only talking to someone about this the other day um, in Kismet is as soon as you realize you'll never solve all the problems, you just have to choose which problems are more important. You just start living a very, very, well, you have a very, very different attitude. If you're going into a business trying to solve everything, you're probably going to fail because you just can't. It's like that perfect score on a Mm mass test. It might Mm -hmm. be a little bit elusive. Um, just pick those top three. 
Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So did you get, you You said Airtree came in with Explore, yep. um, helped you with that. What sort of money did they put in? I think it was about six million, um, six to eight. I have okay, to cast my mind back. Over, pre- over the whole sizable. investment. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. That's fairly sizable. Yeah. Uh, you sold out to private equity yep. and it was reported at the time it was worth a hundred million. Yep. Extraordinary. Yeah, no comment, but yes. <laughs> no comment, um, but yes. Okay. You you know, you made it onto the financial review yeah. young rich list. So that was where the money came from to start. Some of Kismet. it, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. What, what did that money do to both your personal life, I guess, and your professional life? That, I mean, it's yeah. a windfall. You can't sort of look at it as any other. I mean, I, I presume yeah. you don't go into a business like, how can we make this childcare system better and I'm going to make a billion bucks. Yeah, correct. You know, you just yeah. don't it's probably ne- It's never the like result. Um, and, and you'd lie if it, you said it didn't. It changes everything. Um, it's it's feel very, very fortunate, very lucky. Um, deeply know that couldn't have done any of that without the team and the armies of people that sit behind you that have your back. So um, if anything, how's it changed? I, I hope it's made me more humble and more thankful because um, I deeply loved the time I was there. It was some of the best times, hardest times. And I can only imagine Kismet's going to deliver some of those harder times as well. But that's what you sign up for. Um, and the friendships I've made, like it's all been very, very worth it. But I just got lucky. People hate me saying that because there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears involved in that luck. But there is an element of right time, right place, taking the opportunity, working very hard, meeting the right people, hiring the right people, making the right decisions, not giving up when you probably shouldn't have given, when you should have given up. Mm. I put it down to just dumb. A lot of people are much smarter than me and the right decision would have been the stop. I just don't have that common sense. So when you make this pile of money, you'd sold out of Explore, um, well, you sold it to them, but then you stayed on with them. Yep. Sorry, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So you sold it in 2020 and yep. stayed on till late 2022. Yeah. Yep. After late 2022, <laughs> you got a big pile of cash. Did you think that's it? Yep. I'll retire. <laughs> um, I'm what forty. Um, yeah, th- that's the you know the cliche time to retire, and uh, and I'll do it. Yeah, and you said it because even at school, I said I will retire when I'm forty. That was really? my goal, and everyone just laughed, and even I laugh at it now. What are you going to do? Like, also, why forty? Everyone says why forty. I don't know. That's what I was told when you retire. It yeah. sounds mad because it's nowhere near retirement age, but. I don't well, know. probably when you're 15, 16, 17 at school, you think, oh, that's so old. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. Yeah. But, so, um, so did you think you'd retire? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Bought, bought 20 acres, bought a tractor, thought I'd farm on this, on a hobby farm. I get it. It's not, not huge, but um, I thought I'd do that and just take a break from really? the world of technology because it's fast. It's a fast-paced place. Um, and being on the property, not seeing anyone, neighbours, cars, it's very, very relaxing. And then, look, in fairness, um, I did a lot of work between 2020 and 2022 during COVID, merging companies, acquiring companies, building, and that was very, very difficult. Um, with Explore, once with Explore. you were within yeah, when the I was private with, equity. With, yeah. with the Advent guys who were superstars, but and I really value all that work. But that was hard work. 
and that was hard. And that okay. was a hard time because um, my team was built around being in person. And all of a sudden, they're now forced into remote working. We're in Melbourne, so our COVID was a little bit more dramatic oh, than, yeah. than most. Yeah. Um, and merging companies completely remotely, especially when you're merging companies for the first time is a learning experience. And then doing that, you know, sort of more times after that. What um, did you learn from Advent <laughs> or that lot. whole period that you're talking so about? So much, so much. It made me grow up 10 years. Um, so thankful for that time. Um, really enjoyed working with um, the private equity guys. A lot of people say they don't, but I really, really enjoyed it. What I learned, a lot of discipline. It actually reminded me, it got rid of a lot of that imposter syndrome that I could actually do the job um, and do it well. Um, so that was a really good lesson. Mm. Um, it helped. It reminded me of how important it was to lead my team, not have to be what I thought was respected of being on the tools or doing this or doing that. People just wanted the talk and, hey, how are you going? How is lockdown today? Is everything okay? I didn't see you at work today. You are right. And so you've gone from this startup founder to now, I guess, another role of the founder is deeply caring about your team and helping through them through some significant struggle during COVID, mental health, um, people locked in tiny apartments, no one to talk to, uh, family members unable to be connected. Mm. Um, so you really felt that for your team and yeah, help, were, it was, was one of the hardest things for me because also I was going through it as well. Yeah. Uh, my kids were at home and I was lucky because I had kids, but you know, you take the switch. Some people thought they were lucky not having kids. Yeah, that but you still probably had to homeschool or someone yeah, at everyone home had, had to, to go homeschool and yeah. do all that as well as trying and to run a business. Yeah, and I don't, I think there's a generation of leaders that if you look on the bright side, we're able to lead teams successfully through a period that fingers crossed never happens again. And they've got exceptional experience that hopefully doesn't get overlooked. That sounds like a great place <laughs> to take a break. Mark, will you join me for part two next time? We'll talk more about your serial entrepreneurism and your um, starting not one, but two startups and building them up to be sustainable businesses. Yeah, we'd love to. In part two of our chat next time, Mark Woodland gives insights into his serial startup journey and how helping out his mum doing reception and admin work in her small childcare centre grew into Mark developing digital tools in the childcare space that he built into a reportedly $100 million business. That's next time. Hope you can join us then. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.